This is the Power of Genetics podcast, the podcast designed to help visionary practitioners build a more successful practice, transform more lives, and lead their patients into the future of personalized health. In each episode, I'll interview successful practitioners and leading thought leaders who will share their insights and expertise to help you prepare your practice for what lies ahead. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe, and now let's get into today's episode. So very good morning for my first podcast from Seattle. The Power of Genetics is now coming to you from Seattle, Washington, and not from Cape Town, South Africa. So a big welcome to Deanna Minich, who is my first Seattleian guest. Welcome, Deanna. Hello. It's so good to have you here in the Seattle area. And this must be very auspicious, this podcast, with you being here and me being here. So it's a delight to have this. It's not just me being here. You're around, you're in the same area. So it must be a Seattle podcast day then. It so is. I've, yet, I've been waiting a long time to have you on my podcast. You are obviously on the top of my list. I have known you for quite some time. We have been in the same world for a couple of decades now. And obviously, we, we kind of play in the same space. We live in the same world. We attend many of the same conferences. I think you attend more than me, but probably because I live in South Africa as well, lived in South Africa. So I just, you know, really... You're, you stand out so much in the world of functional nutrition and healthcare and health and nutrition that there's many practitioners who are as brilliant as you are in terms of like content knowledge, but you have really had a journey and stand out in a way that has changed the heart of how we teach and talk about nutrition. So I, I want to start by maybe you could just go back for us and talk about a little bit about where did you come from? How did you land up starting this journey? Because I always find like, where did it begin? Not everyone woke up in the morning and went, I want to be like this nutritionist and change the world of healthcare. So take us back and then we'll land up eventually where you are now, which is this heart of nutrition place that I really want to talk about. Wonderful. Wow. What a, um, an honor to be able to give you a little bit of a window into my journey. And I hope that it does help people. So my journey goes back to when I was a child. I grew up with a very health conscious mother in the 1970s when it was very cutting edge in order to, I would say, get into the space of health and the way that she did with food. And for her, it was food and faith, food and faith, body is temple, right? She, she really got on this bandwagon of focusing on no white bread and let's read the food labels. And so I always give credit to the lineage that we do come from because it's never just us. We just don't arrive one day and say, okay, I'm ready to do the work. There is something and oftentimes people that spark us along the way. And it was my mom very early on. And then following from that, my parents both come from large families and I was seeing a lot of people dying. And one of the people that was very close to me was my grandmother who died of bone and breast cancer when she was, when I was 12. And that really impacted me, you know, really seeing her process of death, seeing her suffering, you know, just having these multiple bouts with cancer. And I became very interested in science. So when I was a teenager, was very nerdy and we didn't have the internet. So I would go to the library and I would get all the books and I would read the encyclopedias. I was trying to figure out my own body because I started to have my own health issues. 
So things were compounding. And then finally, I thought, okay, I'm going to be a medical doctor. I went to college. And during all of my breaks and all of the, the time away from school, I was working for medical doctors. And I was sensing, uh-oh, this is maybe not the path that I want. I worked for a cardiologist. I worked for an internist. I worked for an ophthalmologist. I even worked at a hospital just to kind of get a sense of what I might be getting into. And I was thinking, I don't want to do this. And I also knew that I wasn't, I'm a very all or nothing person in the way of if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it a hundred percent. And I just didn't feel a hundred percent. I decided to pivot towards nutrition towards the end of my career. So I, I left college with a bachelor's in biology and a minor in English literature. So I had an interest in other things. It wasn't just biology. It was like, ah, I'm seeing more, but how do I bring it all in? So then I went to graduate school and I went to study and get my master's in nutrition and metabolism. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, maybe my mom was right after all, even though I was very resistant to it. So I spent three years on my master's degree and I did benchtop research meaning like I I basically did a lot of human clinical work, studying samples in the lab and then writing that up. I worked with Dr. Phyllis Bowen at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and she was an expert in the field of carotenoids. So I got turned on to plants pretty early on. And I was like, oh, all of these beautiful, colorful compounds, this is really neat. And I had to pick my advisor and I, I chose her. There was somebody who was studying vitamin B6. You know, you could sample from all these different areas. I chose to work with Dr. Bowen, uh, and she also needed students to work with her, so it worked out. From there, I <laughs> I uh, didn't plan on going on in school. I fell in love, actually. I fell in love with a, a, a Dutch man who was in Chicago at the time that I was in graduate school. I lived with two other women at the time who were also going to school for something else. They were going to school for architecture. So I met this Dutch man because he was over doing his study, fell in love. And I thought, I'm going to go to the Netherlands and just be with him until he finishes school. Well, I didn't just want to hang out in the Netherlands. I needed to have a role and do something when I was there. And I landed into a research group that was actually part of the university, a teaching hospital in the university, and ended up doing my PhD. Fell out of love, (laughs) got there because of love. Got out of that, and and it was got a PhD. Um, that seems a good bargain. Got a PhD. Yeah. I stood. It yeah. wasn't easy. You know, the Dutch are really talk about science and nerding out. They are really focused on science, and um, this group that I was in was focused on lipids. So I got turned on to my whole dissertation was on essential fatty acid absorption and metabolism. I worked with um, my advisor was Dr. Hank Jan Fricata, brilliant man, really incredible, um, whip smart. And so I learned a lot from him and he was also a pediatrician. He was an MD and still oh, wow. is an MD PhD. So I had the opportunity to work with children who had cholestasis, children with cystic fibrosis, and we were designing therapeutic lipid treatments for them, but trying to first understand mechanisms of essential fatty acid metabolism. So using stable isotopes, measuring their breath, their poop, you know, all kinds of it was a dirty job, but lots of diapers that I had to analyze yeah. for fat <laughs> absorption and things like that. So then by the time I was uh, done with my PhD in four years, and we had to have like a certain number of publications. So just to keep, for everybody to listen to this, it, my journey was mainly research. You know, I'm a scientist first. I'm not, functional medicine didn't even enter into my awareness until I made the leap. When I was 29, I finished 
that whole trajectory of school. So most of my life was in academia and I thought I would be a professor and just go that route. But then I was feeling like, you know what, I need to apply this. This is not, I have to take that science and make it real. So then I went into corporate USA and I went to go work for a large manufacturer. Well, first I worked for a, a biotech. So this was the, the time of the dot-com, kind right. of got my feet wet in that whole industry for a short time until the company was bought by a larger company. And then I was looking for something a little bit more stable. And then I went into this large food manufacturer and I worked for the food industry for three years, learned a lot. And I had bouts of not being happy and not feeling satisfied, like, oh my gosh, there's something more here. And I started moonlighting and I started to see clients in a clinical practice with a psychiatrist and a uh, chiropractor. And I began doing the nutrition and I would do this just in my off hours. And I was using products that were uh, from Metagenics. Like that's just what they had in their clinic. So then I began talking with the representative from Metagenics and I got really turned on to what they were doing. Most people come into functional medicine because they know who Jeff Bland is. I didn't yes. know who Jeff Bland was. <laughs> I was going to say, you're the first person who said, I, like everyone who I interviewed, you go, I heard Jeff Bland speak. And then I, I like, you came through the back door. <laughs> I came yeah. through the back door and I ended up working with him. So, uh, so Greg Peterson was my Metagenics rep in Minnesota. And uh, he said, you need to come see Jeff Bland. I'm going to give you this, this seminar ticket. You need to come and see him. It was February 2003 or something like that. Okay. And, um, or maybe 2002, some, something like that. And I went to go see him. It's about the same time I was introduced to Jeff. It's oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and he, well, we all know how amazing he is. And so I got introduced to Metagenics and uh, I wasn't happy at the, the food company. And somebody within that company said, Deanna, I could see you're not happy. What would you want to do? I said, I want to work for Metagenics. So she made an intro for me to Metagenics. Uh, it was like an angel. You know, like you have those moments in your life where it's like oh, divine intervention and you just don't, I mean, for people listening, like how are they going to recreate this path? Sometimes you just have to be open to the signs and things come your way. And it's like, oh, this is meant to be. This woman who I didn't even, her name is Debbie. And she was like, I'm going to help you to work at Metagenics. <laughs> so I end up going for an interview at Metagenics. It's a hit. And I start in May, 2003. I work my way through Metagenics, worked there for 10 years, learned a lot from working with Jeff Bland right there in Gig Harbor, Washington in the R&D group. I had to move from Minnesota to Gig Harbor, Washington area. It was like being in academia, but getting paid. <laughs> it was like, how could this be? I'm designing products. I'm actually lecturing. I'm educating. I'm doing my mission of nutrition in the truest sense of the word. And I remember telling Jeff and even Matt Tripp, who um, was part of the R&D team, I said, I can't believe I get paid for this. I love everything about this, this work. So I worked there for 10 years. I left at the end of December 2012, went to work with Jeff Bland on his Personalized Lifestyle Medicine Institute for a year to get him kind of going. And, you know, that was a new concept for Jeff. He had also left Metagenics. And then... Uh, I went out on my own for seven years and uh, began to do my own business. And thanks to Jeff, actually, because he recognized that there was something that I had to put out into the world. And it was all about plants and color, my own journey. And I would say that my mission from there was really to connect science and art. Like I, I felt like science was too limiting. Science to me is a tool. It's not 
It's not a godhead. It's not like it's the ultimate. It's just a tool. It's a method to get you to understand something and to break it apart into smaller bits. So that's here I am. You like you were in I, I think there was this like golden time where IFM was really growing and you could go to an IFM conference and it was small enough that you knew everyone. And and I think that was the two, you know, the, that kind of 2003 to 2010 before it became really big. And even Metagenics, working at Metagenics, that was the absolute best time ever, wasn't it, to be part of Metagenics? I mean, where Jeff was still involved. And so, I mean, you really, so I say, and I agree with you, the angels that come along, I've like plotted mine, like every time where I'm hitting a wall of disillusionment and disappointment and not knowing where to go, someone comes along into my life and inspires me to take a direction. Every single time, it's usually like every four or five years, it happens to me and they're still very much part of my life. So I totally agree on the angels that come along, especially if you're open to it and, and you're listening. But interestingly, I think Jeff is still one of your biggest fans, you know, and often when I talk to Jeff, you know, he... He talks about you a lot. And I think, yeah, don't act surprised. Wow. That's that's very gracious. I, I was thinking, oh, she meant to say I'm still a fan of Jeff, not that Jeff is a fan. No, of that's, no I know. We're all a fan of Jeff. I mean, that's like we're all on the fan. That's a given, right? No, he's oh. a fan of yours. And I, and I think one of the reasons why is, I'm trying to think of how to put this, is you are like democratized in the world of nutrition. Because one of my issues with nutrition is what I call the castle and moat syndrome, where there's a lot of organizations that have tried to own nutrition and said, you know, you need to have this qualification, otherwise you're not a real nutritionist. You need to belong to our society, others do not. And the one thing that you've been able to do is be part of everything, really. You, you know, you're part of ANA, part of IFM, part of F, you know, and, and I think it's that that for me is what the future of nutrition should look like. And, you know, it's one of the things that I've battled with is, you know, when people say, well, if you're not an RD, you're not a real nutritionist. Or if you're not a CNS, you're not a real nutritionist. And the one thing I've noticed with you is your kind of egalitarianism of, of being able to bring nutrition to everyone. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, we, we were talking before we jumped on this podcast, there's so much polarity in general, you know, so many strong opinions. And it feels like I, rather than divide people through food and eating, I, I feel like it's a place for unification. It's a place for integration. And one of the things that Jeff taught me very early on as well is that Nutrition science is is very much like a pendulum. It's always swinging because I would ask him why he didn't take, you know, maybe hard stances on certain things. And in his wisdom, he alluded to the fact that we're we're going to see things come around again, right? And so what I decided to do is to find the common denominator, what unifies people and what is a mainstay in science. And for me, a mainstay in science is plants. I feel like when people start to identify with their dietary label, it creates separation and division with other people. It, it creates a, a wall, not a visible wall, but like a an ethical wall, a social wall. And I feel like, how do we bring that down? Because we all live on this planet. So is the planet, so becomes us. And uh, how do we respect each other's choices? Because 
you're the perfect person for this. We all know that this journey is about personalization within medicine and healthcare, right? How could we ever advocate just one dietary approach for all people? And I have a social media post that I, I put out there some time ago about how the first step in revolutionizing eating and food and diets is to dismantle the pyramid. I, I do feel like we have to figure out like, how do we just create maybe the pyramid becomes the DNA helix or something. I mean, I, just something else, because I feel like we have, uh, we're so in a rut with how we think about food and we need to really like dismantle and recreate. And because we're living in a new time, what we knew about in the 20th century is very different now. Like even when I was in grad school, it was like, oh, antioxidants, functional foods. It's like, well, now we know that it's not just antioxidants. That's very 1990s. Yeah. It's, Cell signaling, epigenetics, it's really looking at the complexity, the pleiotropic effects of things like plants. So we're in a different place, but many of us uh, within nutrition haven't moved on from that place of division, authoritarianism, righteousness. Why? I mean, my mom was very righteous about her eating when I was growing up, and I saw that. And as a result, I became like the nutrition police. And my dad was a policeman, so it was the perfect thing. My mom was nutrition, my dad was a policeman. <laughs> I became the nutrition police person when I was working in the clinical setting. And then I realized that doesn't work. That just led to my own eating disorders. And, and, and then I had to figure out, how do I create unity? How do I create integration? Because I feel like that's where it's at. And that's why people love Jeff Bland. He sees the whole. He isn't whittled down into a fearful part. He sees the whole. And so I give credit, you know, when, when you're asking about how can people establish their journey, have excellent teachers, mentors, people where you can get them to shed light and listen, listen really thoughtfully and reflect on what they're seeing. They have wisdom. I have many more teachers than Jeff. I know Jeff is coming out because this is more of a you know, we're talking functional medicine, but I, I've had amazing people in my life. And if I think about the patchwork of people that have touched my life in all of these ways, they were all leading me towards holism. And science is the antithesis in some ways of holism. It's, it's reductionism, right? So that's why we take the reductionism approach to understand the holistic holism aspects of who we are as people, which are, which is very, very complex. So that's the science and the art. That's why maybe I studied biology and literature because I was sensing that there's more than science, right? Again, science is not something to bow to. It's something we use and harness. Uh, and it has its flaws. <laughs> and I'm the first one to talk about flaws. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's not a perfect so. science. Science is not a perfect science. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I love everything you say because I'm in total agreement, but I love your... I'm going to use it again and put it, let's dismantle the pyramid. Because I think, so I, I don't know if you know the work by Georgi Skrinis. He's actually from Australia, even with that extraordinary name. And he wrote a book about called Nutritionism. And it's reductionism. You know, what we've done, that we think about molecules and we don't think about food. And in doing so, we've kind of lost the big picture of what is, what is healthy nutrition. He's really excellent. I, I'll send you just a, I've got like an executive summary from the book. And again, the thing that I've always found so hard is this kind of nutrition police, you know, of ownership of nutrition. And, you know, I always, one of the questions I, I love to ask is, you know, what do you think the future of nutrition is going to look like? Because, it, you know, we've got the academy kind of fighting to own nutrition. We've got, you know, I'm not saying that, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm saying like, 
I always dream, I always dream about a new nutrition professional. And I just wonder, like, what would that be to you if you could imagine it? That's a really good question. I, it kind of takes me into more of a sci-fi alternate reality of, of way of thinking. Well, first and foremost, if I just go intuitively with that question, and I, I've not given any thought to that directly, but what I would say is I, I do think nutrition is going to land into the hands of the individual. Uh, people are going to be wearing their continuous glucose monitors, their aura rings, their apps. They're going to be hooked up and connected and be better informed about their choices. And I do think that nutrition professionals of all types along the spectrum, whoever they are, they could be seen as coaches. They could be seen as informants into the people putting together the apps, more of the research aspects. I do see them being part of a clinical team. I, this is the day and age of, you, you know, you just can't really just go to an MD and just be done, right? I mean, it's like a full-time job to like really take care of yourself. Not a full-time, you know, it just kind of depends on where you're at, but it requires a diverse approach. And I do see a role of a nutrition professional within that scope. And one of the newer camps of health coaches as it relates to nutrition professionals, where's that dividing line? Uh, you know, I see that we can all work together. There's so much to be done as a whole. And so I don't think that we have to squeeze out any one profession and even within one group, because you have people with different inclinations. You have people with different voices that people will resonate with. And so I do think that there's room. So all of that said, I would say that there's a role for technology. I, I see it, you know, the Aquarian age of looking at uh, revolutionizing through technology and seeing the eccentric cutting edge aspects of it. You know, how do we take technology and use it much like science for our advantage? I think that's where we're going. I, I really do think people will want to take their nutrition into their own hands. I think we're, we will know more about genetics, our own constitutional uh, genotypes, our, our phenotype, how that translates. One of the areas that I think will also emerge much more as environmental health. And I would say, I don't know if I would want to use the word toxicity, but maybe how to be better primed with your environment. You know, you were talking about how you just moved to Seattle from South Africa. It's a totally different biome here, right? So like, I think we're going to get outside of ourselves a bit and start to register. Maybe it's air pollutants, maybe it's you know, when we're by the ocean, the biome of the ocean, the forest biome, we're going to start to see how we connect to certain of the planetary biomes because we're so focused on the gut microbiome and I'm bored with that already. I, mean, I know that there's so much more to be done, but it's like, what about the skin? What about the eye biome? Yeah. What about the vaginal biome? What, what about all of our intricate yeah. biomes? And then to look at that as it relates to the planet, I'm more kind of focused in the future, since your question is more future oriented, I see us connecting intuitively. So not doing that all through technology, but becoming much more present and connected into those different biospheres and how they change. I love that. So we, we're going to run out of time. So I've got two questions and I want to make sure. So the first is you haven't mentioned it, so I'm going to mention it. So you studied English literature, you studied nutrition, lots and lots of studied nutrition, but actually you're an amazing artist. So tell us quickly about how the art came to be. Personal crisis. 
<laughs> personal crisis is how that came to be. Um, you know, I was in the the thick of my doctoral work and uh, feeling alone in a in a foreign country. I started painting. I also had a lot of health issues, like reproductive issues, like feminine female health issues. I had endometriosis. I had a blocked fallopian tube on the left side. I just started painting, and I I noticed that every time I felt emotional or stuck, I I needed to get out of that space. And the thing that did it for me the best was art and painting. And then I realized, wow, how come we're not bringing creativity and who we are as an artist into our everyday? And that was part of my healing process. It was my husband, my my husband, who I'm well at the time he wasn't. He was my boyfriend, but he was saying, "You're painting your ovaries and your uterus. Like, do you not see this?" <laughs> And I'm like, Mark, you're right. You're right. And so I I um, took that as a symbolic message and I really got into that space and then started to bridge together food, colors, pigments, all the things I do with carotenoids, connecting that to color as part of my own. And that's a whole other story, but that's like the tippy top line. And so I think for all of us, when we don't know where to go and we feel stuck in our life's journey, it's like start creating your vision board. Just get very um, less literal and more symbolic start to think in images and colors and just get it out there. And I, I've done that every year, you know, have my vision board and kind of like in an imagery way, a subconscious way, let my inner world tell me on the outer world what might be going on for me. So that's the short, short story. Oh, I love that. Well, that's a great, I mean, I mean, I've seen your art. I, and I was just wondering what the connection was, you know, whether you were always an artist or where it came from. But I think what I love and I think is so important is, um, so I don't know if you know, but I actually started in architecture and art. And I didn't I do science. Yeah, I didn't do science at school at all. I only did art, art, history and English and did no science. And my, I, I've got a, a little bit of a similar story that my grand died from colon cancer and GI cancer. So I left architecture and went into nutrition. So we had that little story in common. And then I discovered genetics later because I wasn't happy with nutrition. So I totally understand this kind of, people often say to me, you know, you say chief science officer, and I I sometimes feel like a bit of a fraud because actually I don't feel deep inside as a scientist. Um, It's not my core, you know, and actually my core still goes back to my days of art and architecture which is where really I was extremely happy. And, and I always say, like, I'm not the best scientist. I'm definitely not a good bench top scientist. I did my PhD at a bench and I ticked that box, but really not a happy space for me. And I think that if you want to, here's my theory is that if you want to innovate, if you want to challenge the paradigms of whatever area you're in, be it nutrition, exercise, technology, If you can come from a different place, which has got art in it and art expression, whatever that looks like, you are more likely to change the way things are done than if you grow up through science. So I see it as a a great gift that I'm actually not a great scientist because I think it's allowed me to look at things in a different way, you know, and I think that you're very much the same. And I think that's why, you know, you really do stand out as bringing art and, and heart. In, in into science and so I'm going to finish with the last question I could talk to you for hours but I'll um hopefully we will get more time but so this is the power of genetics podcast and as you can see we're not talking a whole lot of genetics of course genetics has been my journey of trying to make sense of nutrition 
but how do you, I mean, you, you interact with genetics so much. I mean, hugely so. So how do you see the role of genetics and in, in health and nutrition and the future and how we do things? First of all, I, I want to say that um, I didn't know this about your journey, but that's so cool. I love it that you have different neurons firing in, in all different directions, and it's made you who you are today, right, in terms of looking at what you have done with genetics. So I just wanted to comment on that because that's really profound, and I didn't know that about you. So I think the lesson here is about thinking differently, and where is genetics going, and how does it play a role? Let's take an art metaphor. I see genetics as the canvas. Genetics is the canvas of your being. So you were born with a certain imprint. Everybody's given a canvas of flesh and genes when they're born. The art comes in how we make choices, right? And how we're expressing those genes. Those are the splashes of paint and the design, the form and the interaction on the canvas. So to me, genetics are, I mean, the science of it is, is great because it's, uh, it allows us to understand the canvas of what we're born into. Because, you know, if we want to be a basketball player, but yet we are, um, you know, we have certain limitations. It's like, we need to know our constitution, right? If we're not 6'5 and we don't have athletic ability, you know, we're, we're, we need to understand what we are working with. And so I think that we have to appreciate our canvas you know, is the canvas a, a circle? Is it a square? What is the the size of the canvas? All of those things. And so to see ourselves as art, right? And, and just art out of the womb. And then from there, to be thinking about how we can shape the design of our lives. I, I really do think that that's it. And the canvas has no limits. It, you know, we can constant, I take my old canvases that I've painted on, and then I you know, just to repurpose and upcycle. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, paint and canvases can be expensive if you're painting all the time. So then I sometimes will just paint over what I've painted and recreate the design and create layers upon layers. And that's what we do with our lives. We go through phases in our lives where every decade could be a little bit different. And, you know, who we are now is not who we were yesterday. And so having the freedom through epigenetics, through transgenerational effects of how our lineage has come through. I mean, all of those things really tapping in and making that canvas very multidimensional. I think that's the role that genetics plays. It enables us to know uh, what we're working from. And then from there, we, we create our expression. Beautifully said. And I, the way I always, which is very similar, is I always, which kind of comes back to your kind of biome of how we interact with the planet around us. I always say is genetics, allows us to understand how we respond to the world around us. And then, and that's your same kind of thing, like who are we in this world? And, and, and then, then it's the decisions we make based on those insights that really ultimately decide how we exist in the world. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing. So beautifully said and bring, love that it brings in our art, art conversation. Deanna, that has been a wonderful time speaking to you. I could carry on for a long time. And I'm, I'm always like so delighted to be able to understand the journey. Like I love the journey. You know, we all see people like yourself, Jeff, Patrick Hannaway, standing on a stage and speaking. But for me, what is why this podcast has been so meaningful is to understand that we all had a journey. We all do. And I think it inspires everyone to say, just take that step forward, like step into it, like be present, arrive, listen for your angels, listen for your mentors and just keep moving. And I think 
you know, you've you've illustrated that beautifully. So thank you so much for your time. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person in your forest for a cup of coffee if you have coffee. I absolutely have coffee. You have coffee? Okay, I'm coming. I was like, maybe it's matcha. I don't know. Like, oh, wait, all kinds of things. I, I'm looking forward to really connecting with you here in the Pacific Northwest. It's been a delight. Thank you so much. And it's so wonderful that we are kindreds, right? Um, in terms of our life paths and yeah, this message of creativity and to really be expansive and open to what comes our way and to be paying attention. All right, beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you and have a wonderful day, beautiful weekend, amazing festive season, and hopefully we'll see you in the new year. Thank you for listening to the Power of Genetics podcast brought to you by 3x4 Genetics. For more episodes, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash podcast. And if you are a licensed health practitioner who would like to apply to join our network of over 1,000 like-minded visionary practitioners, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash apply.